And as my body expanded into active labor, so did my ability to drop my jaw and open my throat. At first, I uttered open, drawing out the long O. I gazed at the 14 messages from family and close friends, hand-painted on flags, strung like prayers across the room. Each woman entered like a dream, carrying laughter and offering strength, opening my body to the serenity of creation embedded in the spiral staircase of our collective existence. I spoke almost hypnotically to myself and the baby. Relax. Yes, relax. This is the Mad River Anthology. I'm Brent Shankins. My guest tonight is Therese Keslin Fitzmorris, poet, mother, teacher, community activist, coming out with a new book uh, called The Signature of Time. Thanks very much for being with us tonight, Therese. Oh, thanks for having me. How's motherhood? It's been incredible. One of the most um, intense transitions, I think, that, that we go through, that we can go through in the human experience. So um, incredible highs and incredible challenges to go with it. Motherhood uh, sort of forms the theme and, and topic of your new book. I've always kind of written from my own experience. So, you know, um, deciding to become a parent, of course, became a huge um, theme in my own life and occupying a lot of um, my thoughts. And so naturally, um, my poetry started to to delve into these topics as well. And so um, shortly after my son was born, um, I wrote his birth story or our birth story, I guess. And it just seemed natural to put it together. Um, actually, another another poet that I've been working with for years, Vanessa, um, just put together her own book, and she was like, "Come on, don't get behind. You got to keep up with me. Where's your book?" And I was like, "Okay, this really isn't that hard." And I helped her throw her together, and I was like, "Okay, let's, you know." So I um, spent some time and picked poems that I felt like kind of all spoke to um, the decision of becoming a mom and sort of. Um, my relationship with my husband as well and how how that sort of navigated and and changed evolved from the time we got married to to the time we became parents let's hear a poem from the new book okay so um i thought i would start off with what is i wrote this um one day gosh it's probably like two years ago now i think um i was out in centerville beach which is just um west of ferndale and it's just an absolutely incredible, beautiful place. And I was sitting there, and um, it was just kind of one of those divine moments where the, the clouds were just incredibly beautiful and watching the, the sides of the, the cliffs forming. And I felt like I had this revelation. And so here's, here's the poem that came from that, that moment. It's called Centerville Beach. I listened to the fragile work of ocean waves carving rock faces out of ancient sand. The ocean exhales dew into the sky's palm. He grips her breath so tightly that the sun hides behind dark clouds, clenching thunderheads with white knuckles, squeezing sweet nectar, dripping like raindrops, 
running like rivers down the sandstone expressions a mother molded out of clay. We must have learned how to throw pottery from watching the timely work of waves. The quiet discipline of receiving divine teachings and inviting God's grace into the empty space that occupies the distance between our skin. I lay to rest the notion of creating perfection and open my arms to the work of art my parents painted, brush tips dipped in stardust remnants, hands stroking the ridge edges of mountaintops, eyes gazing at the horizon of inevitable mistakes, lips wet with biology and evolution, mind surrendering to the pulse of humanity. I am ready to chew the seeds of sound and swish the signature of time down my throat, then watch the moon wax and wane under the curve of my navel nightly. To chew the seeds of sound, um, that has to me an unmistakable ring of John Coltrane. Are you uh, a music fan at all? Yeah, I have um, an avid love for music. Um, I've always been really interested in music, but my husband um, far surpasses me. He has a vinyl collection that began when he was potty trained. Um, so I, I, I definitely, he plays jazz um, amongst other styles of music. But yeah, I definitely, I played sax for a little while myself, so Coltrane was is on the musical palette. Yeah, yeah. He just there's just a new uh, biography out on Coltrane. The the uh, New York Times jazz critic uh, came out last year with a bio. So all of us jazz fans are kind of salivating over that. And it's a very good read. Um, so why do you write poetry? Um, I you know I've always written poetry since I knew how to write. Um, I think at a very young age I found some just joy in the creative expression of it. And I went to like a young writers conference when I was in first grade and thought it was the coolest thing. Um, but as I got older, you know, I, um, my family went through some tough times when I was a kid and, and my journal became my, my counselor, so to speak. And, and, um, it's just evolved from there to be, um, something I feel called to do. I don't really know why, but I, I don't feel normal if I don't do it. So <laughs> I do it. Who's your ideal reader? I don't know. I guess, you know, anybody that has a passion for poetry and is interested in um, self-discovery, I guess, you know, since I write a lot of sort of, um, I don't know, I guess you could call it confessional poetry or, um, you know, things that are about my, my life and my experience through that, um, you know, I seem to recall in doing some research on you, which is the fun thing about doing this show, you you know, these envelopes show up and you read through people's books and poems and you go to the MySpace thing and you just, that you might have a Jim Dodge experience. And that that forms a whole category <laughs> of poets that we've had on uh, the Mad River Anthology who tell their Jim Dodge stories. So what's yours? Oh, well, Jim, um, I had Jim as a professor for a class called Composing Beautiful Sentences. And 
I learned a lot from there. I just realized I was just teaching a friend of mine how to edit her own birth story and was pulling from things that he taught me there. But um, he was my senior project advisor. I did a compilation of poetry. And, you know, when I was in college, I was a horrible poet. And I didn't know I was a horrible poet until I met Jim. <laughs> and, you know, the wonderful thing about Jim, as anyone who's worked with him, is that he's brutally honest, and but in a really compassionate way, you know. And I remember going through my work with him and, you know, he just, you know, slaughtered it over and over again. It was just like, you're just confusing me, all these pronouns and who is she and he and you, are you talking to me? Who, you know? And, and um, I really, you know, for a couple of years after that, I stopped writing and I really was like, I'm not a poet. You know, I thought I was good. I was just, you know, I, I'm a journaler, you know, I'm writing for myself. Um, but you know, it, it came back. And as I wrote, I really, you know, in some ways, I felt like his voice was haunting me. But in other ways, it was really pushing me to be clear about what I was saying and what I want to communicate to an audience. And the more I started considering about taking my poetry to public spaces, the more important it was to me that my audience understood, you know, what I was saying. Um, and, you know, Jim's, Jim's really honest feedback, um, helped me get closer to that goal, I think. Honest feedback. I think that is a nice way <laughs> to characterize Jim Dodge as a, as a teacher. Um, and uh, and uh, I uh, am a former Jim Dodge student as well, so I uh, sympathize with all of, of my guests who tell their Jim Dodge stories, and we all kind of commiserate together. Um, and I remember when I was in Jim's class, him saying, well, uh, you know, there were certain people who had a hard time with him as an instructor. And I, you know, um, I guess at the risk of getting it kind of somewhat wrong, you, I might characterize those people as people who were slightly more sensitive, you know. Mm -hmm. And as, as a student, I never was particularly sensitive. It was, you know, I so go through the critique session and go, eh, well, okay, that poem sucks, and just kind of go on with my day. Uh, but definitely for the folks who got the issue between what you write and who you are confused, you could tell that those folks really had a hard time. And, and Jim was sort of sweet about that, and he would say, well, I, I'm not everybody's teacher. You know, I'm not a real handholder, and some people really need that, but I don't think I'm going to give you that, you know. So he's sort of up front right away about what kind of teacher he was and what you could expect. Um, you know, I actually contemplated, like, begging him to give me feedback on this book. <laughs> because, you know, I've given it to actually several people and asked for feedback. And even, you know, um, like Vanessa, who I'm an incredibly close friend and poet, and we work so well, you know, she, she gave me a couple little things here and there. Um, ironically, the best feedback I got was from one of my students who just graduated last year who I've been her creative writing teacher for years and yeah. it was kind of nice to turn the tables but it's you know I remember Jim saying once you know your mom your boyfriend your best friend those are the people who you read your poetry and your writing to if you want them to tell you how good you are yeah, absolutely. but if you want someone to tell you what an editor is going to say or a publishing company I can do that for you yeah, you know and yeah and if you really are serious about becoming a writer and developing the craft of writing then you need that and, and the one other thing that he did that was really important was he pointed out the passages that worked. And I learned just as much from that, from being like, oh, I can see there how 
how that image or that specific passage, you know, touched on something. And then I could build on that little, you know, the one little, (laughs) you know, the one (laughs) verse in my 20 pages that he liked, you know. So, um, so I really, I really appreciated it a lot. I actually not only was Jim's student, but I was also um, a teaching assistant for one of his classes. So I got to see kind of both sides of the issue or, you know, be on both sides of the desk, so to speak. And I really did marvel at the amount of time that he would spend on student work. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and, and I've been a teacher myself. I, mm-hmm. You know, as we were talking before the program, I used to teach here at Humboldt, and I used to teach writing. And once you've done that for a living, you realize what a tremendous commitment that is. And, and, and you think, oh, I wish I would have been anything other than a writing teacher. <laughs> you know, I wish I'd been an engineering teacher or you know anything because, of course, you end up with these stacks, stacks and stacks papers, of papers. Yep. And you begin to think, if I spend 15 minutes on every one of these essays, at the end of the year, I will have spent you know, like four years working yeah. on this stuff. And yet um, I noticed uh, when, when I was a student of Jim's and, and, and an assistant, uh, the amount of time and the amount of comments never seemed to lessen. I mean, there was just this this really good, close, critical attention with copious remarks. And I, uh, you know, that's a that's a testament and a tribute to him as a teacher, um, and especially to keep that up year after year. I mean, at this point, he's been doing it a while. Yeah, know? I've only taught myself for six years, and you definitely feel the weight of grading. Yeah, yeah. Writing. You just, you just, I, I ended up, the only way that I survived, and, and I, I, I mean, I'm out of teaching now, so maybe I didn't survive. <laughs> but uh, the only way I survived was to set a timer. I just had to, I got to the point where I just set a timer and said, okay, when the timer dings, that's it on this page. That's all the feedback I have, and, mm-hmm. you know, because otherwise you just get lost. Um, so let's, um, gosh, there's so much to talk about. Let's have another poem, and then maybe we'll talk some more about um, your teaching. I'll read this one. It's called Three Shades of Green. She wore three shades of green from toe to shoulders, each clashing slightly with the next. She rubbed her hands together with fiery friction in hopes to ignite the flames she once bathed in. She had come to rely too heavily on spirits and herbs, and now she's forgotten how to laugh from the bottom of her belly without their soothing presence. Innocence and wisdom are gestating inside of her. But for now, she's only a woman on the middle planes of life, not yet old enough to rest over the recorded, nor young enough to lose herself in lust. She walks slowly over sunsets and breathes deeply, inhaling the memories of mysticism. She's tasted the bitter poison of ambition and lacks the discipline daily devotion requires. Her palms open, turn down upon the only keys that bring her back every time to the thread of intuition that takes her into the unknown. Very nice. Um, So... The book is The Signature of Time. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, when the book's coming out uh, and kind of the how it all came to be. So the um, I'm releasing the book on October 24th at Northtown Books, and we're going to be doing a reading at 7.30. And I say we because um, my friend and colleague Vanessa Pike also is – we both self-published um, – 
um, our books, and she's releasing hers as well. It's called hers is called Excavating My Heart. Um, so we'll both be you know reading and. Um, Vanessa and I have been doing performance poetry together now for years, so I'm sure we'll do a couple pieces together as well as excerpts from our independent um, books. That's great. I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that uh, collaborative aspect of your work with Vanessa, and I know that you did, um, Is it was it Excavating the History of Love? Was that the performance piece that you guys kind of took on the road? and? ended up in the at the New Yorkian Cafe and, and and tell tell us a little bit about that. So I first met Vanessa when I was student teaching um, at McKinleyville High School. She was actually a student in my mentor's class and shortly thereafter she um, graduated early and moved to Kansas with her boyfriend and we kind of kept in touch. We both, you know, loved poetry and and so, you know, we just kind of had this instant connection and when she moved back, she um, became one of the poets on the youth slam team I coached you know even while she was on that team and they were so fiercely preparing for this national competition she wanted to write poems with me Um, we just continued to do it and after we got back from the national slam and all the other kids were kind of burnt out needed a break she was like what are we gonna do next (laughs) Trace?" and I was like oh my goodness how about breathing (laughs) Um, but we put together like a short 20-minute collaboration, um, and then that evolved into a longer multidisciplinary piece that eventually became the ex- Excavating the History of Love. Um, and my husband and a couple other friends of mine played music, and one of my good friends danced and did some choreography. There were several women that danced. Um, but when it came together, I was really impressed with how professional it felt, and you know, it really was a testament to everyone's everyone being willing to contribute that much time and energy and and a testament to this community I think of how incredible how many artists are here that are incredibly talented and just do it because they love it instead of you know doing it to to pay the bills or try and become famous or all the other reasons you know people create art Tell me about being at the New York and and, and I've actually been there um, uh, it's been many years ago but and I have to say, before going there, um, I wasn't a huge fan of slam poetry. As much as I love jazz and music and, and rap, I was raised on hip-hop. You know, that was kind of the music that I was most into uh, growing up. Um, there was something about the spoken word, for whatever reason, that didn't quite uh, that, that I didn't quite enjoy so much. But let me tell you, going to the New York and sitting down and going through it all, I, it's completely converted me. I was like, oh my god, that was so much fun! And then people are standing up and you're voting, and you and I got what was really interesting about it to me, and, and a surprise was that um, I got very uh, friendly and involved in the people sitting around me because we started arguing like very good naturedly and and having a lot of fun about what you're giving that poem a ten? Are you out of your mind? Like that's not that, that poem sucked and <laughs> what what are you crazy? And, and you just start talking to these people and they, they want you to talk. I mean they're looking at you and, and, and you're holding up your thing and um, it was incredibly interactive and just a great time. And I don't remember this has been years ago that I attended. The entrance fee was nominal, you know, it was like three bucks or some nothing thing. And I mean, we were there for hours and just laughing and we saw some great performances and, you know, some mediocre performances. But the overall experience was just uh, fantastic. I mean, I'd go again in a heartbeat. So how was it to be there on this legendary stage performing your work? Take, take us there. What, what was that? What was that like? It was really exciting, you know, and 
you know, it was the third show in our tour. And the first two we did were like really dead, like nobody was there at all. And then to step in the near again and and, um, you know, it was it was ironic because there was all this mix up and everything. And and um, the people who were supposed to perform with got bumped. And then this other group was performing and they were really gracious to still let us perform since we were coming all the way from California. And it was um, put on by a group called the Blackout Arts Council, which was totally about promoting um getting more people of color and diversity on stage and you know here we're like two little white girls from humble being like oh goodness you know what are they going to think of our poetry you know and and really you know it was incredible they totally welcomed us and and once we met them we didn't feel awkward at all I was nervous for sure you know it was kind of when I was up there performing I sort of felt a little bit like I was in robot mode like like I, I was saying the words and performing and I was just looking around and I didn't really feel like I was fully in my body. It was like I knew the poem so well that I could just do it on autopilot and just like marvel at what was going on around me. That's that's fascinating. Um, uh, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, coaching. I mean, you're you're a teacher. Um, you're coaching people. You're setting up um, slams through the accident gallery. What what got you interested in that, and what kind of sold you on performance? Yeah, you know, I, I lived in Oakland for a couple of years, and I would go to the Berkeley Slam, and I never performed there. Um, but I had invited some of the slam poets from the Berkeley team to come perform at a middle school that I was teaching at. And it was this crazy group, the Suicide Kings. Um, they're very talented, but in slightly insane people, particularly Jamie. But And Jamie's actually kind of from Eureka, but anyway... Um, I made this connection with them, and then when I moved up here, I invited them up here again. And so I, I kind of came to slam through the back door. Like I met all these incredible poets, and I saw what happened when, you know, particularly with youth, when you gave them the opportunity to take their poetry um, to an audience, they started taking it a lot more seriously um, and getting really excited about it. Well, I suppose in some ways it's a question of expectations or standards. I mean. Uh, listening to you talk, I thought um, something that I remember Jim Dodge saying, um, which is there's probably room enough for all of it. And the standards in which you judge slam poetry aren't probably the same standards in which you ought to judge, uh, say, somebody, an academic poet or uh, a language school poet. I mean, those are different disciplines altogether. Mm -hmm. and they offer very different experiences. So, well, Therese, I I hate to say it, but we're running out of time here. It seems like we just got started, and, and now we, we have to say goodbye. This is just horrible. The new book coming out, The Signature of Time, uh, maybe you could conclude with the title piece. The first hour passed to the soundtrack of Curtis Mayfield. Brandy's presence opened like a protective sheath, allowing us all to collapse into the vitality of this experience. I leaned over the elevated bed, Tommy's tender hands firmly held the sacred bones that cradled our child, as Anne, our close friend, quietly transformed these moments into visceral memories on film. Brandy had told me earlier to remember the lessons of my early contractions. In bed that night when the mild cramping pain rippled through my pelvis, at first I tried to crawl away from it, turning over, rocking my hips, wanting to wake Tommy yet resisting, knowing this was only the beginning and we'd all be better off with sleep. 
Finally, I had found an acceptance in deep breathing, welcoming each contraction, asking it to open my cervix, wilted away like the ripe iris petals on the counter. And as my body expanded into active labor, so did my ability to drop my jaw and open my throat. At first, I uttered open, drawing out the long O. Tommy's presence anchored me into space as I hung timelessly on the open doors of the fourth dimension. I gazed at the 14 messages from family and close friends, hand-painted on flags, strung like prayers across the room. Each woman entered like a dream, carrying laughter and offering strength, opening my body to the serenity of creation embedded in the spiral staircase of our collective existence. I spoke almost hypnotically to myself and the baby. Relax. Yes, relax. Baby, are you ready? Another contraction's coming. Slowly, my open chants evolved into the simple vibration of Om. The next hour rushed through the songs in the key of life. I kept asking myself, Carolyn Brandy, is this happening too fast? They both reassured me this is what we had been waiting for for the last 10 days, so I let go into the safety of Brandy's trustworthy gaze. Yet when I heard my friend April's voice echo through my thoughts, she had told me, when you think you can't do anymore, I swear to you that is the hardest. A tinge of doubt began to color the edges of my body. Only three albums had passed, and I feared that hours of increasing intensity would break me. Just then, Carolyn placed a soft hand on my shoulder and looked me in the eyes and spoke. We're having a hard time picking up your contractions on the monitor. I'd like to insert an internal monitor. It won't touch the baby. It's just a little... I placed my hand on her arm to stop her as a contraction engulfed me. She paused but continued speaking again while I spiled through ten days of daunting decisions. At the end of it, I knew it was up to Tommy. I could no longer weigh my distaste for intervention against the unknown and the reality of risks. Yet when my head surfaced, I could hear Brandy asking Carolyn, can we check her progress before they make a decision? Carolyn responded, absolutely. After two and a half hours, Branding was praying that I was at least four centimeters. Yet when Carolyn reached inside, her fingers confirmed what my body in April had already told me. Nine centimeters. The nurses quickly responded, preparing the room for the arrival of our child. I squatted with overwhelming relief, reaching across the, ba the bed, one hand hooked on Tommy's ten fingers, the other resting between Anne's two open palms. I buried my head in the covers as each intense divine opening painted a soft smile in my eyes. In the white space... I gazed with gratitude, first at Anne, then at Tommy. The urge to push rippled through the top of my uterus. I instinctually began to blow. 
Brandy encouraged me as we waited to check my dilation. Only the tiny lip of my cervix remained, caught under the pressure of my pubic bone. Carolyn suggested that I stand, then draped one arm around Tommy's shoulder and the other around hers. She rocked her hips against mine, spiraling my body into utter relaxation. When the contractions came, I collapsed onto the pillar of their strength, then resumed this dance as the healing hands of recorded Reiki bounced tangerine dreams off the Kibo harp. We waited, and I rested. You've been listening to the Mad River Anthology. My guest tonight, Therese Keslin Fitzmorris. I'm Brent Jenkins. The book release party for Therese's new book, The Signature of Time, will take place at Northtown Books, October 24th, 7.30 p.m. If you have questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. Toyon, Humboldt State University's student-produced journal of writing and art, is now accepting submissions for its 2009 issue. The deadline is October 1st, 2008. Submission guidelines may be accessed through the Humboldt State University website. The Mad River Anthology airs the second and fourth Sundays of the month at 10 p.m. and is produced for KHSU, located at Humboldt State University, in Arcata, California.